holding space is not just being with someone, but it's being totally present in a way where there's zero judgment and you have zero hidden motives and you match their energy, you match their emotion and you're not there to force anything to happen. You're not there to give them advice. You're just there to be a witness. Icons, it's Jen Spiegel, mama four, serial entrepreneur, and your business and lifestyle BFF. I'm here to build a community of like-minded women who are willing to dust themselves off time and time again. Through these stories in this podcast, you will be inspired and encouraged to do all that you can do to be the best version of yourself. Ladies, let's be icons. Hello icons, grab yourself a seat, get comfortable because I have a very, very special friend to introduce you to. Her name is Joy Harrington and she's becoming a fast friend. We, I think we're fit soul sisters. That's what I'm summing it up to be. For sure. (laughs) And Joy is the founder of Level Up Babe. If you have not tuned into her podcast, please make sure you subscribe and do that right away because her podcast is amazing. And she really specializes in social media coaching, especially with other coaches out there. She helps women level up in their businesses, their mindset, and their presence to go big online. She is amazing wife to Peter and an amazing mom to two children, Simon and Scarlett. I love their names. And she has been a wife for nine years, you guys. We're going to dig into that today. And I am just so grateful for your time and just all the gifts you're going to give us. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, you're so generous in that intro. I'm like, can you intro me all the time? (laughs) (laughs) You know I can, and I would, because you're a special human being, and I I love what's happening here within this community. We're really kind of locking arms as friends and as sisters to understand we all go through hard stuff, but it's what you do in the hard stuff that makes you and defines who you're becoming. Oh, totally. Yeah, because so I, everybody has hard, but not everybody uses their hard to their advantage. That's a good one. And I believe in that. And I believe we all think the hard's going to last a little bit too long. And we all think the light is going to last forever. And I just love watching successful women work through that. And you've done it in a very vulnerable public way, which I think has really inspired me. And so I'd love just for them to get to know you. We'll go back a few years. Like, how were you raised? Where were you raised? What did that look like? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm like, where to start? But I was born and raised in Maryland, actually. So DC area. And I was one of nine kids. My dad is a pastor. And in, in 2000, we moved to Colorado because my dad was part of a church plant. And I was raised in very legalistic Christianity on the fundamentalist side. So I was very sheltered. I was homeschooled until 2000 when they decided to throw me into public school as a sophomore in Colorado. Um, So I did experience some public school for that and then lived out here in Colorado until I met my husband and met him when I was 22. We got married when I was 25, moved to Idaho where he lived and like We've kind of been all over. We moved to Portland, had our kids there. Now we're back in Colorado. So we've kind of been down the whole gamut. That's amazing. So let's go back 
to being yeah. raised by a very Christian family, which I share with you in a different perspective. It wasn't necessarily the same structure, but I also came from a family of ministers. And so I know what goes along with that, which is a beautiful foundation of faith. However, I know with nine siblings and all being homeschooled, there must have been some times where either you loved it or didn't like it. What was that process for like, like for you? I mean, looking back now, it's a different perspective. I think when you're raised in it, you don't know anything else, but there was a name to uphold. And I grew up knowing that I was special and different in a pressure sort of way. Because when you're a pastor's kid and when you were my dad's kid, he was not only the pastor of this one church, but he was a founding pastor of a whole sisterhood of churches. There's about 250 of them. So everyone knew who we were. And so if we went to events, the pressure was on. And so I think growing up with that pressure, it caused a lot of pride in me, but also it caused a lot of needing to perform, right? Like getting my value from performing and showing up a certain way. And there was no room for being different. There was no room for being flawed, really. There was no room to question faith, right? To be someone that could possibly think differently. So it was very much a fall in line from a young age and there's no room for feelings. So you just swallow it and fall in line and yeah, you just had to push through. And that is a strength of mine and a weakness because today I'm someone that doesn't matter how I feel, I can show up and I will push through any wall pretty much. But at the same time, it's a weakness because then I don't know how to rest and I don't know how to just be, and I don't really do vulnerability that well. Like it it really pushes me to slow down and be vulnerable and to allow myself to basically be human. Mm. Yeah. And I I could imagine how that would ripple into your adult life for sure, where you almost suffocate your emotions too. I think sometimes, right? Just shove them down and put a smile on your face. Do you feel like that has happened in your adult life? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it was partially why I ended up getting into an unhealthy relationship, right? Is because I didn't know how to recognize my own feelings or to acknowledge myself and love myself and know my worth, right? And I sought that in my performance. I sought that in other people. I for sure sought that in men. I was raised somewhat with a sexist view. So women were less than, they never said that outright wordly, right? But it was just kind of the expectation that men were expected to do big things and women were not. And so I think that's why I was codependent and got into a relationship with an addict, which is where we're going next. Let's go there. (laughs) If you're willing to open that door, I'd love to hear that story. I actually have never heard this story before. So this is my first time as well. And I'm really, first of all, just want to say how appreciative I am to open this up for the audience because I firmly believe you're going to serve people by sharing this story. Thank you for that. And we have shared together on my podcast too. So if you want to hear from both my husband and I, you can listen in. But I met Peter when I was 22. I had never dated anybody. I'd never kissed anybody. I was the good girl doing it the Christian way because I was told that if I did everything right, I would have a better marriage. 
And so I went into it thinking I did everything right. Now, to be fair, he was not approved of by my family. He was not approved of by other people. But I, there's something about him. Like I just loved him and wanted to be with him. He's one of 11 kids. And I think we just had so many similarities that you don't have when you're not from a big family like that. And he was also raised in extreme religion. So I think they say you marry someone that has the same wounds as you, like the same core wounds as you. And the more work we've done on ourselves, the more we're like, oh my gosh, like we're so similar in our wounds. We're so similar in the things that we experienced growing up. So it's kind of crazy. But when we got married, we had been long distance for most of our relationship. So you know someone, but you don't totally know someone. Uh, And we went straight to getting married because of course I wouldn't live with him right before we got married, things like that. So got married and I knew within the first year that something was wrong. I just felt like he was distant. I felt like he was kind of holding me at an arm's length. And I was like, really, this is marriage. It feels like we should be closer than this. And it just didn't feel like we had that connection. And honestly, it drove me to be very lonely in my marriage. I had just moved to Idaho to be with him. I didn't know anyone. And so I'm here in a very unhealthy codependent state, putting all my happiness on him. And he was in this state of wanting to hide because he knew if I got too close, I would find out things about him that he didn't want me to know. And he had to work and provide, and he still had a whole town full of friends. So there was this weird dynamic going on. I eventually ended up getting a job for a young chiropractor and spent a lot of time with this guy. And he began to fill my emotional needs for sure. I was really lonely, really unhappy, and I began to really look to this guy to fill my emotional needs. And ironically enough, Peter saw that, my husband, and it kind of made him feel relieved because he knew like, oh, good, if she can get it there, like maybe this won't work out because of her instead of her finding out about my stuff. Oh, wow. Like this weird self-sabotage, right? Nine months into our marriage, we find out we're moving to Portland for his job. And part of me was so relieved because I was like, oh, good. Like I'll leave this guy that I know I'm too close to. We'll have a fresh start. Neither of us will know anyone. So this will be good. So we moved to Portland and it did bond us. It did connect us in a way because we didn't know other people there, but things still weren't, there was still something there, right? Mm -hmm. So at about 18 months into our marriage, he came to me and said, you know, I've had a conversation with some guys at our church because we had found a church. There were many Sundays I went alone and I cried being there alone. And he's like, and they told me that I needed to come tell you. And so he told me that he had been struggling with porn since he was a kid and that he had been at strip clubs and that when we were dating, he had not been faithful. He claimed that when we got engaged, he was faithful and then was faithful into our marriage, but that he was still using porn and he was still going to strip clubs. And I was completely devastated. I mean, I was like, this entire relationship feels like a lie, right? Like I had no idea all this stuff was going on. I was extremely naive. So I didn't know or trust myself well enough to look, I think, for the red flags that had been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, I think I was so desperate for that love that I didn't want to acknowledge them. So at that point in time, I told him, I was like, okay, I'm not 
divorcing you, but you have to get help. If you don't get help, I will be divorcing you because I know this will continue to be a problem. So he started to see a Christian counselor and while they did work through like processing some of his baggage and things got somewhat better as far as porn went, it never totally went away. Mm -hmm. And then we found out we were accidentally pregnant (laughs) with our oldest and it was time to start a family, even though we didn't feel ready for it. I thought it was the worst thing that was happening to me at that time. Oh, wow. You have a lot to unpack through this. I mean, this is heavy and you're on your own in Portland. Yeah. So you don't have family, friends around you to lean in on. Who were you leaning in on at that time? Who were you talking to? I had a couple friends that I had made in Portland. And then I knew a couple ladies from church. Hmm. And then I had like a family member back here that I leaned on somewhat, but I didn't even want to tell the whole family, especially mine, because they didn't approve of him in the first place. So I knew they were going to be like, see, we told you type thing. Right. But I do remember there came a point in time when the family member back here in Colorado that I was talking to said, you know, I'm not out there. Like, and at some point, like you made your bed, you have to lie in it. And I just remember being like, wow, like so hurt by that comment. And I thought, okay, like, I guess I did. I guess that's what I have to do. And now looking back, I'm like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) I would have been like, okay, thanks for nothing. Like, thanks for being a real good friend. Clearly you're not. But that's kind of how I was raised, right? Is people, that was kind of the view is like, hey, see, this was the choice you made. And honestly, people didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know how to help me because they're like, he's not totally acting out. Like he's not totally being unfaithful. But I, in my mind was like, well, it feels just as painful. Like from what I know, it feels like he is and I'm not okay with this. I feel, I feel very similar as a woman. I, you know, it's like, where's the line of being unfaithful versus not and watching another woman in a movie or going to a strip club and lusting over a woman with no clothes on. Is that cheating? Is it not? And I would, I think I would fall in that category of yes, because you are using your eyes and your emotions towards another body, another person. And not just eyes and emotions, but body parts. Yeah. I mean, he's using his own body parts, like doesn't really. So like for me, I knew the feeling of betrayal and I was not willing to live with that in a marriage, but I also was not strong enough at that time to stand up totally for that. So I had insisted he get help, but I think I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't really grow up hearing about all of this. (laughs) I didn't. So we just kind of limped through the next few years having our kids And every so often he would tell me like that he had stumbled with porn or I would see things or find things. And again, it was devastating every single time. And I was angry every single time, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't grow up hearing about it. So looking back now, I'm like, oh, that was an excuse. Like I could have gone digging. Right. But I think I was just unhealthy myself. So I didn't know that I could ask for that from him. So I finally, we moved to Colorado after having my second baby. After she was two weeks old, we moved to Colorado, bought our first house. I have a toddler and a newborn. I start getting like postpartum depression, nursing issues. 
It's like the worst summer ever adjusting to two kids. And then Peter was still traveling a whole bunch for work back in Portland. And at the end of that summer, some things happened where I was like, something's going on. Like it just ticked my intuition. And I was not raised to be someone to really follow my intuition. I'm very much a people pleaser. I question myself a lot. So I definitely felt this like in my intuition. And part of me was like, oh, like just let it go. And the other part of me was like, no, I'm going to ask. So I asked him, hey, like, what is this? What's going on? And he tried to give me an answer that like brushed it off. And I thought about it. And I remember I reached out to a sister-in-law and asked her opinion because she was married to someone who had struggled with alcoholism. And so I was like, if anybody's going to get it, it would be her. And she was like, I think if you don't buy that, you should tell him, I don't buy this. And you're going to have more explaining to do when you get home because he was on a business trip. So I told him that. And when he got home, I went digging with him right there and found explicit emails between him and another woman on his laptop. And this woman's like in a foreign country. (laughs) It's like not anybody that lives in the States. But at that point in time, I was like so burnt out from this being like back and forth, back and forth for years. And I was so burnt out being a mom that I was like, I literally have nothing left to give. And actually the thought of being divorced sounds easier to me than managing you and the kids. And so I'm done. And I insisted on a separation at that point. And I was like, you basically have 30 days to convince me to not file for divorce. And the only reason I'm giving you 30 days is because we have two kids. Okay. So much grace for him. And that is to me strength. Really, it's, it, that is showing so much strength for you as a woman, because so many of us could listen to this story and say, oh, I would have thrown him away or, you know, what we would do, but we're not in that situation. And as I age, the more and more I realize that when we give someone grace or dig into trying to understand and figure this out, the stronger of a person we are. Oh, well, trust me, my instinct, my natural reaction was we're done. I would love to call an attorney right now. And I wanted to, but I had only ever been a stay-at-home mom. I did not have any income of my own. I don't have a college degree. So there was part of me going, holy crap, what am I going to do? Right. And then there was part of me going, I just gave this person two kids and he is an amazing dad. He's always been an amazing dad. And my kids are going to grow up hating me for leaving him. Hmm. And a whole bunch of people, well, several people that I talked to at the time told me like, just pause, like, don't make any rash decisions right now. And I was like, what do you mean rash? This is not rash. Uh, But they were like, you are super angry right now and you're going to feel differently. Like, even if you don't change your mind, you're going to think about this differently. So like give yourself time to figure out what to do. You don't have to decide right now. And so that actually was giving myself grace Mm -hmm. because I was like, I can't figure all of this out right, right now while I'm also trying to take care of a five month old and a two year old and I already have postpartum depression. So it was giving myself really grace to be like, I'm going to take my time and no, he can't be here. We can't live together. I'm like not going to see him, but I'm going to give myself time to figure out what I want to do. Such a great advice. And I was actually given the same. 
And I didn't even realize how precious that was until you just said that now, like to pause the exact same thing was told to me. And that gave me that like deep breath of, okay, I just, I have to do everything I can to know whatever decision lies ahead. I know is the right one because I gave it 100% of all I've got. And my story ends differently than yours with my first marriage. But I do remember feeling so peaceful about the decision because I had paused before making an emotional decision in a very emotional state. Correct. And I mean, if I hadn't have had kids, probably would have looked different, but I knew I owed it to my kids to have done everything possible. And that included giving him time to basically do what I was asking him to do. And at that point in time, that was the first time that I called it an addiction. I was like, okay, this is an addiction. You can't stop. So we need to get serious about this. This is an actual addiction. And to me, that was hopeful calling it that because it meant there was actually real steps to getting help. Cause I was like, if it's an addiction, that means there's a reason why you're doing this. And it's not just because you don't love me. And it means that you can get real help. Some people think that that's the end of the world to call it an addiction. I thought it was freeing to call and it that. And hopeful. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so I gave him a list of expectations that I needed to see happening in 30 days. And no, like I knew he couldn't be better in 30 days, but I was like, I need to see you taking steps. So I need you to find a counselor who specializes in this addiction. And I need you, I had like this whole list of things. And I was like, you have 30 days to take steps in all of these areas, or there would be no reason for us to stay together. And so he was completely devastated and ready to do whatever it took. So it totally rocked him. And he did. He found an addiction counselor who specialized in this. And he and his wife had been down a similar road. And he now helps other couples. They live here in Denver, Colorado. And they saved our marriage. Like they saved him because it was the first time I met somebody else. And I was like, oh, my God. Like you speak this language. It felt like I was talking a different language that nobody understood. And I was like, you're telling me I'm not crazy. Like you're telling me that what I'm feeling is real and that I have a right to be angry. And you're also telling me there's a reason why he's doing this and there's a way out. Like Mm -hmm. that's amazing because nobody else had known even what to call it or like what my problem was. And of course, when you go through this like rock bottom, everybody that wanted to give me their input, one, didn't have experience with this, and two, they're either on the side of, what's the big deal? It's just porn. Like, that's not really infidelity type thing. Or they're like, why haven't you left him yet? Right. Both are not helpful for the woman in the situation (laughs) because she's swimming. She doesn't even know what to do. She doesn't even know how to stay afloat right now. And so neither of those are acknowledging her own pain and saying, dude, I see your pain it's real. Like, yes, this is not okay. Can I just interrupt you here for a second? Because I think this is a great moment for women to get some advice from someone like yourself. If they have a friend going through something like this, what is the best way for us to stand up for a friend who's in a really dark time in their marriage? Because I, my mom always said to me, don't ever say horrible things about the partner because if they get back together, you can never take back all the horrible things you said 
And truthfully, you said that to support the person. You wanted to make them feel better. So by trashing that person, she's like, don't ever do that. Because then at the end of the day, you look like a really bad person. They'll never forget the words you said. So I loved that advice and I've always followed it. But I do think we need to also stand up for a friend who's going through this. What could we do? What could a friend do in that time that would have really helped? Show up for me. Like Mm -hmm. you're my friend. So why, where am I in all of this? Not one person showed up at my door. Wow. No one came to my door. And they all said, let me know if you need something, but you're so in it, like you're drowning so much that you don't even know how to ask. So I needed somebody to show up with a bottle of wine and some chocolate. Yeah. No words of advice, just a hug. Hmm. I feel you. Like showing up at my door and saying, you're not crazy. Your pain is valid. You are allowed to be angry. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to feel this way. What do you want? What do you, like, yeah, and just listen and just be with them in whatever state they're in. If they're angry, awesome. I can hold space for you. If you don't want to talk because it's too hard, awesome. I can hold space for you and we can just drink wine. Like whatever space they're in, just hold space for them. And then if you do want to try to have conversation to help them stand up for themselves if they need to, ask questions. Just ask questions about what do they want? What do they feel they deserve? What would their ideal marriage look like? You know, like what advice would they give their daughter? It's so good. I hope you are all listening to this and really absorbing not maybe you're in the heart in your marriage and you're thinking, yes, this is what I need from a friend. But if you're not, we have to know how to stand up for people in this moment as a friend. Going back, would you, let's say you're talking to somebody right now who's going through this. Should someone ask their friend for this? You know, should they say, I just need a bottle of wine and chocolates? Or can we just be better friends at knowing that's what someone needs? You know what I you know, hear what I'm trying to say? I, Well, I think we need to be better at asking for what we need. But two, when people are in grief and grief is so real and it takes you out, it takes you over. I think we as a society should be better at showing up and showing up does not mean showing up and throwing a casserole at someone. (laughs) I'm tired of the food being like that. This is how I show up. I just, I just take them a casserole and I leave because I don't know what to say. That's not like really showing up. Showing up means you know how to sit with someone when it's really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And guess why it's uncomfortable for you? Because you don't know how to hold space for somebody else's emotions. And I want to talk about that for a second, holding space. So I'm doing breath work right now. And I, my therapist actually said, do you know what, what holding space means? I'm like, yeah, just being there for myself. And she's like, no. And she said it beautifully, but you've used that term a couple of times. So I would love you to describe that because a lot of people don't understand what that means. Holding space is not just being with someone, but it's being totally present in a way where there's zero judgment and you have zero hidden motives and you match their energy, you match their emotion, and you're not there to force anything to happen. You're not there to give them advice. You're just there to be a witness, basically. That's perfectly said. And I think that needs to be better understood. I really do. 
And when you're asking questions, they need to be with zero judgment of their response and with zero manipulation behind them. Because so many of us also ask questions because we want to manipulate someone's thinking. That's not asking good questions. No. Like, so being a mirror for someone is completely different than, oh, I want to ask her all these questions because then maybe she'll think that she should leave him. Yeah, to try to get, you're right, to manipulate into what they think should happen. Correct. Just letting you verbally process with someone who is safe. Yeah. Oh, this is good. And this is making women better right now. This conversation, it needs to be louder and prouder because we all need to show up better in these situations. I, I really believe it. So Peter, obviously has a lot to work through. And I'm sure he had a lot of shame attached to this as well, because you're telling me like he was a great dad and he was devastated by you leaving him. So obviously he loves you immensely. What's that process like for him? Well, the process for us immediately was getting into counseling with that counselor. It was like two times a week. That counselor met with both of us, even though he was counseling Peter. He has the wives come because he wants them to hear what is being taught so that we can one, understand it, understand why this is an issue, why this happens. But then two, we can also have accountability and see like, is he putting in the work at home? Like he told him to be doing these things. Is he doing the work? And it's a beautiful way to start building back that trust Yeah, because it's not just about stopping the behavior. It's also about building back trust and repaying the debt. And I was so appreciative that he talked about that, our counselor, because there is a mountain of debt that's there for a wife who's been through something like this. And so many people think if the husband just stops, that's good enough. But that doesn't even begin to touch the mountain of debt that needs to be paid off. And if you really want to have a healthy marriage, they have to do specific above and beyond to pay down that debt slowly over time so that now I don't live the rest of my life feeling like there's this huge gap there. So we got into counseling. He got into a men's group. I didn't join a group or anything at that time because I was so overwhelmed with everything in life. And I was on the couch depressed with grief that I couldn't even handle anything else. But he started working the steps that Jason was giving him and implementing these things And he began to change as a person. And it's funny you bring up shame because shame actually drives addiction. It's part of the addiction cycle. And we live in a society that is riddled with shame. And it's no surprise that it's also riddled with addiction. So it was a big learning curve. I love Brene Brown. I read all of her books uh, because she talks about shame. I'm a huge fan. So it was as I saw him starting to change, I had this huge aha moment. I was really angry. I was really bitter. And I was frankly so tired of being on the couch depressed every day. I hit this point of like, I'm so miserable. Like, I wish I could run away from myself. I wish I could run away from my own life. For a long time, I lived in the, I just wish I could go back to before because at least I was happy. Right. Which we hear from people like that. We're like, are you kidding me? But it's so tempting to think that way when you're in grief because grief is all consuming. And I finally hit this point where I realized, oh my God, even if he changes, even if our marriage lasts, or even if we get a divorce, I'm still not going to be happy because of me. 
And that was like my light bulb moment of like, oh my God, it's all up to me. Like I'm going to, if I don't do something, I'm going to be this angry, bitter mom that 40 years from now, her kids hate her. They don't want to be around her. Everybody like knows she has this sob story. So no one likes to be around her because she reeks of back in the day, this happened to me and I'm the victim, right? We all know people like that, that we don't like to be around because they always just want to talk about how they're a victim. Yes. And I was like, and that's going to be me and I'm going to be so miserable and so unhappy and that's all my life is going to be. And I'm going to be alone. And I was like, that will not be me. Like I will not lose my kids over this. I will not be that mom. Good for you. So that was my like, my rock bottom and realizing, oh my God, it's time for me to work on me. No matter what happens in our marriage, I have to change. Mm -hmm. And I see you getting emotional telling the story. I know it's not your first time. And I am curious a little bit, is it because you're seeing your strength? I hope it's because you're seeing your strength. I know there's sadness and memories that I'm, I'm sure you wish weren't there, but at the same time, they built your marriage into what it is today. So I guess we can't wish it to be different because it means this, what you're in right now would be different. But I, I really, as a woman to woman, want you to know how much I appreciate your story for the strength. It's making me want to stand taller in my shoes because of your incredible example. So I want just to honor you in that. Thank you for that. I think it's a mixture, honestly. I think, yes, I see my strength. Yes, I see like how beautiful it was that it was really what changed my life. And now I can look back and be like, oh my God, that was the best thing that ever happened for me because I was someone that needed to change. I would never go back to who I was then. I look back at that girl and I'm like, I don't even know you anymore. And I'm so thankful. But at the same time, I remember the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't dismiss it and because you can't. Pain is what was needed, right? To like go to the next level. Pain is what was needed to force me beyond myself. Mm. That's good. That's a quotable moment right there. Beautiful. It, and it does. The uncomfort of life, the dark, hard times are really, it's like they mold you into this better version. They say, you know, diamonds are made under pressure and it's really, it's factual. And I was just at a conference this past weekend. And one of the things that really I've resonated with was she said, you know, in hard times and there are hard times we go through, you know, people yeah. say everything happens for a reason. She's like, how can you make reason out of some of these things? What do you mean? Everything happens for a reason. She's like, I don't believe in that. I don't buy into that story, but I do believe something beautiful can come out of everything. You know, a silver lining is there for everything. And you have always, obviously you and Peter have grasped onto that and just, I can only imagine your circle, your peer group, watching the two of you and witnessing two people actually come together through this really painful, emotional time and build this marriage that you have today. How awe-inspiring. Thank you for that. And I don't think, like, not everybody knew at the time. And I don't know that everybody totally understands, <laughs> especially people who haven't lived through something really hard sure. in their marriage. And so I'm not sure everyone gets 
grasp the gravity of it. I'm not even sure I totally give myself enough time to grasp the the awe of it, right? But I know for sure we both are two completely different people. Like it actually ended up being the vehicle that I swear Jesus used to save us out of our own bondage. I feel like he came for us through this story. Like he saw the chains that we had from being raised with such wrong views of him and Christianity and all these things and was like, I'm bringing you out of this and it's going to be painful, but that's what's required to like open your eyes. Mm. That's good. You got me going now. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. I truly see it that way because I don't know that we ever would have woken up to the wrong religious beliefs and just things that we always had known, right? So like you only know what you know. And I think we would be passing it down to our kids right now. I think we would be passing down certain ways of being and certain habits and certain expectations and ways of talking to our kids and ways of training them that we were raised with that now I'm like horrified (laughs) when I think about. So I do think of it as being like this beautiful thing. Well, and it's interesting because your biggest fear you mentioned a couple of times is your children hating you or resenting you for whatever reason. It's really interesting because now it's the complete opposite. You are raising them as a more fulfilled, more understanding, more open human being. So isn't it interesting that you feared that the most, but yet through this, you became a better parent and wife and human being for them. I just think that's incredible. Totally. And that's what I mean by we have the option to use something hard, but we don't always take it because everyone has hard things happen and it would have been easy to just sit back and say, I don't want to do this. And it would have been easy to leave the work up to him. It would have been easy to just wait. Like, I'll just wait till I start to feel better. Yeah. And I have to say in all transparency, I would have likely, and I may still have likely, so you you definitely spoke to me through this interview and this conversation. I tend to be the person where you go do the work something's wrong with you. You have to go fix things. And you have taught me through this story because you are right. It's, it's up to me to be happy and fulfilled and also up to your partner to be happy and fulfilled. And when you do it together, I I was talking to somebody else and they said, you know, you, as long as you're on two different tracks going in the same direction, you're okay. You don't have to be on the same track, but it's been Right. But when you're on this, the two different tracks and one's going east and one's going west, that's when there's a severe problem. And I think that permission to know that we're in relationship with someone not to change each other or mold them into what we want them to be, but to be on these two different train tracks. And we just have the same vision for what's ahead of us working towards that. Totally. So what does it look like today to be Joy and Peter? So... Today, we are beyond like immediate recovery work, which feels good because we were hard in the weeds with that for the first few years. Recovery is not black and white. None of this is black and white. And I was always a very black and white person before. So this was exactly what I needed to learn grace and compassion and less judgment 
and giving myself room to be in the gray. So we struggled through recovery for the first two years. And then the last couple of years has been much better, but he still meets with his guys group. I obviously have a coach and a mentor now, but I've done therapy. I've done EMDR. I've done a recovery group for women. Like I've done it all. It's been a journey of one thing at a time over the year or the years. So today I feel like we're actually in a new transition, which is like, okay, we are past the point of survival. We're past the point of recovery. Now what? Like what's next? And how are we going to transition to like thriving? Because Mm -hmm. it's, you got to get out of survival and get into thriving mode. So like we're transitioning again. I think we're going to get a marriage coach because now it's like time to start working on the marriage together. I think before it was us working on ourselves so much and now it's time to like, how can we grow together and how can we create something amazing that we want purposefully instead of just as a reaction? That is gorgeous. And I'm looking forward to being a witness to that and, and watching that unfold. And I, I love how you've been able to kind of separate or chunk this as well. You know, it is an evolution, but there is a time where you have to say, okay, we're past this point now. We can't keep staying in the survival mode. Now let's thrive. And I, that was a really, really good um, takeaway for me. So thank you for that. And, you know, yeah. I, I didn't tell you this before, but I have two very good friends who also worked through their marriage um, with their both their husband's with addictions and two different, all different addictions across the board, but witnessing them work through that and being patient in that process with themselves and their husband was to me, makes me emotional. Probably the most beautiful thing I could witness in terms of being patient and kind and gentle to my own relationship, you know, and knowing that, man, if we really want it badly enough, we can work through some things. And if it can't be worked through, at least the uh, the try the Correct. personal work you leave the end maybe not together but two very different people in a good way oh, yeah. because of the work oh for sure and also like i knew i had a history there it's a huge decision to just leave all that history and start completely over i also knew i would still love him he would still be a great parent to his dad like i had zero judgment for myself either way But I knew deep down, like if he could actually change and become this amazing person, which I saw that potential in him, then I would regret leaving. And that's ultimately why I stayed. I was like, what if you leave and then he goes through all this work and changes and then somebody else gets to benefit from that? Like you went through the crap part and you didn't stay long enough to get the good part. And you're triggering me right now with a few things, which is good. This is beautiful conversation because a part of becoming iconic is marriage it's in itself too. It's really what started this whole journey. People were reaching out who were in tough times in the marriage. I think wanting that my permission to leave their husbands because I'm divorced. I think people come to me thinking I'm going to be like, yeah, just leave them and life's so much better without them. And I can never look at anybody in the eye and tell them that I can't. I can tell you that I found the right person for me, but they're still hard and with the right person. And when you do divorce, the next woman does get a better version of that person. That is fact (laughs) because they learn the lessons through you and with you. And sometimes it's hard to swallow. Sometimes that's hard to witness. Um, But other times I just have to give thanks for that. Mm -hmm. And know that our, all of our journeys are so unique and different, but I am, I am really 
really grateful for this conversation because women need to hear from both sides of the equation. They really do. And I also knew like, I wasn't kidding myself. There would still be work with someone else. And so the question for me was not about the work necessarily. It was more, is he actually going to change? So for me, if he wasn't going to change, there was no point in staying. But at that point in time, he was doing the steps. He was taking the steps. So for me, it was like, well, then it would just be hasty, I think, for me to leave because he is showing me that he will change. So if he was going to go back and forth and like play around with changing, I knew I shouldn't kid myself and I should go be with someone else that was willing to do the work. But I knew there would be work with anyone no matter who you're talking about. There is no perfect person out there. No, there's not. And thank you for saying that. And I can tell you in my second marriage, it, it is, it's work. You know, you don't, it, the grass looks greener. Um, and sometimes it is. My grass is greener for me and my yeah. journey in my lifetime, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have weeds. It still has weeds. <laughs> you got to weed that stuff or otherwise it can take over. So sure. I do want to shift a little bit if it's okay with you. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Level Up, babe, and how people can find you. And, you know, you have blessed me and my social media by coaching me and spending time with me. And so I have to give a huge shout out and kudos to you for that. So tell me a little bit about how people could find you and and what that looks like and where you're at now with Level Up, babe. Yes. Well, I have my podcast, which is called Level Up, Babe, and we do share our story on there. And I started that podcast because I wanted to share our story. I know people out there need to hear that they're not alone and they're not the only ones going through this. But then also I wanted to show women that rock bottom can be a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So I really have a lot of women on there that share their rock bottom and how they used it to something better. I have you on there coming out in like the next couple of weeks. So there's a lot of amazing inspirational stories, but then also I've been an entrepreneur online. So I'm at joyharrington.ig for the last four years. And I generated over a million in sales, primarily off Instagram. And in the last three months, I've gotten certified as like a lifestyle coach and a success coach. So I've combined the two to work with people who want to level up in their business because Instagram can be a beast it can work super well for you if you know what you're doing and it can be really frustrating if you don't. So I help coach women through not just like the Instagram strategy side, because I can look at your bio, I can look at your page and tell you what you're doing wrong and what you should switch, but also the mental mind blocks that are there because we all know it's not just your strategy. Uh, If you had all the right strategy in the world, it probably still wouldn't work for you if you don't really believe in yourself, if you have the self-doubt, if you don't think you can make that money or ask for that money from those clients. So I'm working primarily with people one-on-one where we go over all of it right now. But if you just go to my Instagram, joyharrington.ig, in my bio, you can get my free ebook that has a bunch of social media tips just to get you started. Oh, good. I love freebies. I know everybody loves freebies. And I will say, I just, I do need to let you know, audience listening in, she's worth the follow and she has incredible strategy and really did level me up. So that term level up with you suits you so perfectly because you're leveling up in your personal life. You're leveling up as a mom and a wife and in business and even being a lifestyle strategist, I'll tell you, and I think if we shared this in California together, you have a really gorgeous way of telling truth in a loving tone that you can accept it. That's a hard thing, right? A truth teller 
can be difficult because people can take that the wrong way or take it personally. And you were able, I watched you over and over again, talk to other women and give them feedback where they received it and felt, huh, like a little bit, stood a little straighter and, and arms back. So it's a gift. It really is. Thank you for saying that. I, and it's the truth. Yeah, it's a truth. So thank you for your time. We, I think this podcast could go two hours long, truthfully. I have <laughs> a thousand more questions, so maybe we need to do part two. But I just want to reiterate that I know you blessed people through this story. Please thank Peter as well, because I know yes. he has to be willing to share this as well. And yeah. um, let, him, let him know we're grateful for him too and grateful for your story. And I am excited to see you go into thriving together. That's, that's an exciting thing. Well, thank you for having me on. I think you're an amazing woman. And I love the fact that your podcast is like off the charts from day one. I'm a huge fan. Oh, thanks, Joy. Love you lots, friend. And we'll tune in next time. And oh, no, I have to wait. Hold on. Stop, stop, stop. We got to end with the question. I was so excited. I didn't even ask you. So I end every podcast with this question. Yeah, I almost left you. I would have had to do like a insert. Um, how are you going to be iconic today? Today? I'm going to be iconic by leveling up in some way in my life. I make it a goal to every day learn something new so that I can consistently grow and level up because I do believe that's what life is about. So I will be leveling up by learning something new today. Not sure what yet, but I do make it a point to learn something new. I love that. That's a beautiful goal for a daily goal. I love that. Thank you so much. And that's one that everybody can take with them, actually. So I appreciate that tactical advice as well. It's really good. Okay, friends. Thanks. Let's go be icons. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. It really means the world to me. I would be so appreciative if you'd take one minute of your day and give a five-star review and share this on your social media. You can find me on the gram or Facebook, and don't forget our website, becomingiconic.co. Ladies, Stand taller today, roll those shoulders back, chin up, and go out and be iconic.